Hello and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop stream, your one stop for co-op news, reviews, and playthroughs. I'm here with Mike and we're talking about Osworn. What's up? Hey, sorry I got a mask on. Uh, for those who don't know, I got COVID and I'm just, uh, I'm still around the family. My wife's still nearby, so I've been hiding in a room by myself and then masking up whenever I leave the room. <laughs> So if you want to see Mike all masked up, go to the stream channel. If you're listening to this on the podcast, uh, we also have pictures up uh, like video or not video. It's just pictures of the uh, some of the art from Oathsworn. So if you want to see that as well, and that's what we're talking about. And then for our design discussion, we're going to talk about cooldown abilities and different ways to do cooldowns in games. Yeah. And uh, just a quick note, we did get a review copy of this and it's a big game. So thanks to uh, what is what's the company called? That is a very good question, Mike. Like into the something. Hold on, I'll look it up. <laughs> yeah, Peter, while I look it up, what have you been playing recently? Uh, so Jason Perez came over the other day and we got some gaming in. So we played uh, Oathsworn was the first game we played. And then we played Tiny Epic Pirates, which mm. I think is only the third Tiny Epic game I've ever played. So that was not co-op. Uh, it's a pickup deliver game and I like pickup and deliver a lot so it was good uh for a game that size though i think i prefer great heartland hauling company although i don't know that you can get that one anymore so maybe tyrant tiny epic pirates is the uh, way to go i don't know <laughs> nice uh and then we played one of my favorites great western trail uh again not a solo co-op game but um yeah there's that and I guess I should mention one other thing is there's two new heroes out for Marvel Champions. We're gonna have a uh, we're gonna have that on the main channel. Uh, my first impressions and playthroughs of that, and then Terrence and I play are gonna play them on the stream. And I will say I am super happy they did a great job. So it's Spider Ham and uh, Spider with some slashes and some other stuff associated, like some big giant robot yeah, the, spider. The the lady mech pilot from Into the Spider Verse, right? Yes. I mean, it is very much uh, like, uh, what is that game? Uh, Overwatch, where you got the like yeah. pilot and then she'll jump out every once in a while and do cool stuff. So very, very cool. Uh, I enjoyed both of those heroes a lot. They they just keep innovating with that game, I must say. Um, it, it's cementing its spot as my number one for sure. Nice. Yeah, I don't think that's Overwatch, but uh, <laughs> that's okay. Uh, by the way, the publisher of Oathsworn is Shadowborn Games, so they're the ones who send us the uh, review copy. Yes. Uh, yeah, I've been uh, playing Oathsworn, of course. I also got Stars of Akarios at the same time, which is another like big kind of dungeon crawly, except in this case it's like spaceship combat, uh, but a big campaign game. So I hadn't played that because I, I was putting too much time into Oathsworn, but I just played it actually before we started recording, and... I forgot how fun the combat is in that one, so we'll see if the rest of the uh, game measures up, but the combat is definitely a ton of fun. I also got, I actually kind of forgot I had ordered it, but I got the Marvel Dice Throne, like all the set of eight new characters for Dice Throne that are Marvel. Nice. I remember um, you ordered it, because if you hadn't, I was thinking about doing it. So uh, Okay, there you go. Yeah, so uh, the new characters are good so far, the ones I've played. Uh, my, it, it encouraged my son and I to bust out uh, Dice Throne Adventures again. So we're about halfway through a campaign of that. He's playing uh, Miles Morales, Spider-Man, and I'm uh, Thor. And they're both pretty fun. That's awesome. So, uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it remains a pretty good game. Not like the best game, but my kid likes it. And it's fun to just chuck some dice and do the Yahtzee-style stuff, so... That's well, been good. I loved um, Yahtzee growing up, and I can only imagine if I had had a way to play Yahtzee, but with, like, superheroes, I would have been, like, super stoked. So Absolutely. Not that much else. I mean, I've, I've been with COVID. I've not had that much energy. And then my, the play I was doing just finished up, so that was taking a lot of time. So I have a big pile of games to play, but those have been the main ones. Oh, I guess I should spoil next week's review, too. I've just started playing, uh, what was that, Heroes? Uh, Hour of Need. Yeah, Hour and I've been playing that one, too. Yeah, so we're going to review that one in two weeks. So, uh, yeah, because I'm going on vacation and I'm taking that one with me. Because, uh, spoiler alert, Oathsworn's a little bit big. And uh, <laughs> taking Oathsworn was not an option on You're vacation. You're not to carry a 50-pound, three-giant-box game with you on your vacation, Peter? Uh, sir, it is four giant boxes. You forgot the terrain box, two uh, villain boxes, uh, and the main box. <laughs> Um, so yes, and that is for the full miniature version of the game. There is a standee version, which is only one giant box. Uh, so 
there is that. But we'll talk about that at the end or, or maybe as we review it. All right, Mike, you got anybody to thank this week? Yeah, so let's thank some of our amazing uh, Patreon supporters. If you don't know, we have a Patreon. It's uh, patreon.com slash one stop. And you get early access to the videos on the YouTube channel. You get to like vote on things we cover sometimes. And the big one is I do, it's usually me, and sometimes Peter joins me. I do um, at least two exclusive videos every month that are only found there. At this point, we're up to about 20 of them. So there's a whole bunch of uh, back content you can enjoy if you join the Patreon. Um, I just did uh, my favorite boss. I, I ranked all the KDM-style boss battlers, including Osorn, although that was before I played it <laughs> again. So, you know, it's kind of going off what I remembered. And then I just did a video ranking all of the non-KDM boss battlers, things like Aeon Zen and Sentinels of the Multiverse and Marvel Champions. Um, so, yeah, lots of fun content there. But uh, we'd like to thank this week uh, Zach Oglesby, Elaine Brousseau, and Sebastian Melkiste. So, Zach, Elaine, and Sebastian, uh, thank you all. And thank you to all our Patreon supporters. And, hey, if, uh, if Patreon is, you know, financial times are hard, if Patreon's not in your budget right now, you can always just leave us a review of the podcast on Apple or wherever you're listening. That helps a ton to get visibility and to get people paying attention. So we appreciate that too. Yeah. And give a thumbs up to the video if you're watching on the stream channel or if you go over and check it out on the stream channel for sure. So uh, we also have some people out here that uh, are saying some stuff in the chat. We got Successful Geek says, uh, this is a game I definitely regret not backing, but I definitely would have gotten a standee version. And we'll talk about that later. Uh, and Barrett's out there and he says, good to see you both. Mike, I hope you're doing well. Thanks, Barrett. Yeah, I feel better every day. Um, I'm actually mostly good today, but I'm still testing positive. So I'm still just being cautious. My wife uh, has some asthma issues, so I definitely don't want her to get it if we can help it. And Jeremy Howard's here. He says, Gen Con anyone? And yes, Jeremy, I will be at Gen Con. So uh, we will definitely make some plans to meet up there. I've definitely got some uh, meetups planned. So we will do that. And anybody else that's going to Gen Con, reach out to us. Um, let us know either in the show notes here or on their Discord channel or wherever else. Plenty of places to reach us. And uh, let me know you'll be there if you want to meet up with us. Yeah, good to see you, Jeremy. Uh, but do you want to jump into the Osworn, Peter? Absolutely. Do you want me to do theme? Sure. I mean, I don't think we should go too deep into mechanics anyway. Like, uh, we'll yeah. probably cover a lot of that in the review. So the theme is that you are these Oathsworn that are out there. Basically, it's almost like Heroes for Hire. Uh, and you've been hired to come to this town. So you're on your way over there. Um, there is a party of you. I'm not going to spoil anything that happens on the way, but basically you're going through this place called the deep wood. And in the deep wood, there's all kinds of creepy critters, everything else. And while you're going through there, you're kind of tied to this chain, not tied to, but you know, you have to like hold onto this chain as you're going through. Um, that way you don't get lost in the woods. So yeah, it, it's kind of a, an interesting, almost reminded me of the Hobbit a little bit. I've been going through the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings lately, where it's like, don't stray too far from the path. Uh, yeah, it, I don't know why these forests are always so creepy, but they definitely well, are. And, and the big thing you left out, Peter, is that basically the entire world's been taken over by these forests. So all that's left are like these bastions of these giant cities in the middle of the forest and those wire roads connect the cities to each other. So basically, if you're not in a city, you're taking your life in your hands. Even if you're on the wire, you could get like attacked by a BC at any time. So it's, uh, it reminds me a lot for any of the anime fans out there of uh, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, the uh, Studio Ghibli movie, because that one's also about like a forest that is sort of taken over and kind of eaten the entire world with beasts inside of it. And just real quick, Elaine says, I hope uh, it goes, uh, you're doing well, Mike. And also that he said he missed the uh, Kickstarter on this one as well. I am sure that this one will come back. I mean, it just has well, no, to. No, they've already confirmed. It's supposed to be like September, October, around then. They're going to do a new Kickstarter to reprint the game and add some extra stuff. That's good. That's good. Because I think a lot of people are going to want this one. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I got into the mechanics. Uh, basically, the game's divided into two halves. The first half is sort of a choose-your-own-adventure, like move around a map, make choices, go to locations, have little like narrative adventures there. They do have a way to skip past that and like kind of speed it up. But that will then uh, kind of change how you fare going into the boss battle. The boss battle is on a big map with terrain. Uh, think Kingdom Death Monster or think uh, any of the other ones. Townsfolk Tussle, they're all kind of doing similar things. You're on a hex-based map. Um, on the hero turns, they can kind of like split their actions up however they want. They can move around with these gems, kind of like stamina resource, basically. 
They've also got these ability cards that let them attack and do other special things based on their class. Those kind of flow around their board in this cooldown mechanic we'll talk about later. And then the boss activates. You can see what their card is ahead of time, so you kind of know what they're going to do. Some bosses have minions. Some bosses are like squads of people. And uh, you're trying to kill the boss before they kill you. And then you get new items. You level up. You do some more narrative. You fight another boss, and you go like that. It's a 21 uh, scenario campaign, 21 bosses to fight. And they've got a bunch of heroes you can choose from. You can switch them out. You can. You always have to have four characters, but you can kind of uh, do different things with it. I think that's enough. We can get into the rest as we uh, do the review, right? Yeah, absolutely. And if you have any questions, if you're in the chat, please ask while you're going along. Barrett says, so it's like Waterworld, but with Forrest and no Kevin Costner. Yeah, and definitely the game is, uh, you know, poorer for not having Kevin Costner with gills uh, drinking his own urine. That's uh, that's definitely a, a missed, you know, thematic tie in opportunity there. I'm going to spoil this right now. I'm going to spoil the end of the review a little bit. This game's better than Waterworld. I'm just gonna Whoa. I'm gonna put that out there. I'm just gonna put it out there. Hey, I know I know Jeremy Howard's probably with me on this. Uh, Dennis Hopper was a treasure in that movie. He was an amazing villain um, on the Exxon Valdez or whatever he was on. <laughs> nice. Oh, Waterworld. All right, but uh, we're gonna get into our review. If you have not listened to our review format before or seen uh, the videos on the YouTube channel, we're gonna go through the five things about the game that stand out the most to us, uh, good, bad, or otherwise. And then at the end, we'll talk about our final thoughts before we get to our design discussion on cooldown mechanics in games. So, Peter, you want to jump in with your number five? Sure. And my number five is the tokens. And there aren't that many different types of tokens. There are tokens that upgrade your dice. So when you're doing combat, you can either draw cards from a, a stack or roll dice, and they level up from white to yellow to red to black, being the most powerful dice. So there are tokens that'll let you level up some of your dice. There are tokens that let you re-roll, because the big thing is when you do an attack or any check, if you have two failures, then you completely fail. So re-rolls are super important. But bottom line with these tokens is you get a million of them. Uh, it's funny, you're going through the, like the story and you're getting all these tokens throughout. And a lot of the story is just getting you tokens and things like that. So it's a real clever way of giving you something that had something to do with what happened in the story, but at the same time, not making it overly com complicated or burdensome when you actually get to the story. And then they're almost necessary for combat because you have this just very swingy combat system with dice um, and or cards, even if you're drawing cards, which are more, you know, it's going to be more evened out throughout. You still have this system where if you roll two misses or pull two cards that are blank, then you have a complete failure on your attack. And so because of that, it's just awesome to have all these tokens. And if you fail, unlike most games, or I guess a lot of games are starting to do this now, when you fail, you're going to get most of the tokens you use back from that combat, and they're even going to give you an additional token of your choice for doing it. So I just think the mitigation in the tokens is really cool. I think the way they use it for story and for leveling you up a little bit is really cool. I don't know. I just love the way they use these uh, tokens. It makes the choices interesting when you're playing, and... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just think it's really well done. And uh, it seems like a lot at first, but you'll go through them pretty quickly. Yeah, I'm going to get into a bit of that right now and then some more of the actual like mitigation stuff later. Uh, my number five was focused on that like campaign half of the game, the, the story narrative half. Yep. Um, the good side of it, I very much like the world building. I think the writing is excellent. They clearly got some good writers involved with this. They have an optional app if you want to have it read to you. And they have, uh, I forget the actor's name, but he played um, Jorah Mormont on Game of Thrones, the head of the Night's Watch before he passed away. And not the actor passed away, uh, before the character passed away. Um, Spoiler alert. Yeah, so he, he does a great job. Um, like, really, the, uh, the narration is great. So I like all of that. And it's like a very engaging story. On the negative side of it, um, it's, it's pretty linear. And, like, they give you different paths to go in some of the scenarios, but, spoiler, generally speaking, the paths kind of converge anyway because they only have one boss for each scenario, so you can't really do anything that different. you you got to end up with the boss one way or another. And they have, like, some story beats that have to happen, so, like, your choices kind of don't matter except to get the tokens Peter talked about. Um, so that can be, like, a little bit of a bummer if you're looking for more of a branching storyline. And then also the fact that you're going through all of this rigmarole to basically just maybe take a hit point of damage on some of your characters and maybe gain different tokens than somebody else might have gained. 
it can feel like a little symbolic or like sort of tacked on in terms of like the actual game mechanics. But again, if you are in for a nice narrative, it's great. It's like really well done. And if you aren't, they have this mechanic where you can skip through it really quickly. So I think they've done the right thing with it. But part of me who likes more narrative based games more than Peter does, for example, wishes that there was like a true branching and that it was kind of more of a thing. But I don't think that would have worked with the design they were going with. So I understand it. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. If you look on their website, the team that put this game together is huge. So it doesn't surprise me that the story is this well written. I mean, they've had Mm. they hired so many people. They had people just to work on the story. They had people just to work on the app. They had people, you know, just to work on the I mean, it just every single aspect of it. I've never seen a, a a publisher with one game out that had so many people listed like under their uh their team it's pretty amazing how many people uh came together to put this game together so yeah it's no surprise that the story is good i'm going to talk a little bit about uh, more about the campaign later but um for now i'm going to get into the that combat system itself with the dice and the cards uh so it's an interesting option so you can choose whenever you do any test whether you want to use cards or whether you want to use dice and you can even split it. It's funny because at one point we needed nine yellow dice and I think there are only six that came with the game. And we did what you always do in games like this, which is roll the six and then, you know, remember how many hits you had or whatever, and then roll three more. But what we could have done is rolled the six yellow dice and pulled two cards if we wanted or pulled six yellow cards and rolled three. In fact, when I played with Jason, he always drew one card. It didn't matter what else he was doing. He'd do like, all right, I'm going to roll this red dice, these two yellow dice, and I'm going to draw one white card. So he would always add that one card option just as like, because you could, I guess. So uh, there are definitely different ways to do it. But if the cards are nice because you have some consistency to them, if you see a lot of misses early, you know later on there's going to be a lot of hits. They actually recommend you always use the cards for the boss, and I agree with that um, because I have seen some real swingy rolls when the boss attacks you, um, and so the cards will mitigate that a little bit. They also mitigate the boss's uh, swinginess because the boss can't miss. Even if they have two misses, Like they'll just still add up their total hits, um, and they don't critical either meaning they don't draw extra cards. So there is a little mitigation to the boss's swinginess. I mean, the swinginess is where it should be, in my opinion, which is on the player sides, and then they give you a lot of mitigation. So I do like how they gave you two different options. If you're not a dice person, then they do give you cards, I guess kind of competing with that Gloomhaven model of draw cards and, you know, let that be your mitigator. Uh, I'm sure Mike's going to talk about how wounds are actually done with the cards and dice, so I won't cover that here. But I, I also thought it was cool how you upgrade dice, right? You went from white to yellow to red to black. Each one still has the same number of misses on it. So there's a third of the side of every uh, dice is a miss. But the numbers for you know damage go up on each one. So I, I just everything about the dice and card combat I really liked. If you don't like dice, play with cards. I always rolled dice because... I do like dice. Yeah, and it's one thing to add is that they have uh, <clears throat> consistent abilities for all characters to reshuffle the discard piles back in for those decks if you're using them. Uh, for yours, not for the enemies. Uh, so if you want to be like more kind of mitigatable and tactical, if you see that you get a bunch of like really good hits early on, you could like reshuffle that color back in to get those hits back into the fold. So you know, it's not not something I took advantage of. I'm, I'd like the dice personally. But the fact that they have it is really cool. Wait a minute. You're telling me the two different trays, one was for you and one was for the enemy? I thought it was like yeah. for two different sides of the table. Oh. No, no, no. Uh, the enemy ones have an E on them that say enemy. Oh, I totally cheated. I totally shuffled the enemy's deck back in whenever they got like three misses early. I was like, no, no, yep, no, no, no. I'm shuffling that one. <laughs> oh, totally yeah, cheated. No, that's it. Totally that's cheated. It. <laughs> it's fine. Nothing to see here. Uh, So my number four is the characters. Um, I really appreciate the great variety they give you in characters. You have 12 different classes you can pick from right off the bat. Although one, they recommend you not pick until partway through the story because it's like a character you find, basically, not to spoil anything. And then not only the fact that you've got these 12 characters with unique uh, upgrade paths and unique like ability cards and all this stuff, but also that they give you so much flexibility with how you use them. So, uh, first of all, they have really easy rules for switching them out if you get bored with your character, which I definitely learned after Dice Throne Adventure I want to do sometimes, or even uh, when we played Jaws of a Lion, I switched out my character. 
Like, I am somebody who gets bored with a character <laughs> over the course of a 20-plus cam- uh, scenario campaign. So I appreciate that. They also let you... This is something I love. They let you do this companion rule. You can change any character into either a companion or a full character. Companions basically just take two actions a turn. They don't have to deal with, like, a hand of ability cards. They just have, like, consistent abilities they can use every turn. They still get items. They still, like, level up consistently, just like other characters. They still have the same tokens as other characters. They just have way simpler action resolution and, like, way simpler damage and stuff. So I just uh, think that's great. I like it not only, like, for solo, I would play with two or three companions and one or two full characters, but when I played with my uh, nine-year-old, I had him play as a companion because he didn't need, like, the complication of a full character. So you can use it for a lot of things. It can fill out a, like, small player count game. It can be easier for people learning the game. I just think it's such a cool system. And again, at any point, you can switch it up. Like, I think, uh, Peter, you said you were doing this, I believe. If you get, like, bored with one character, you can keep the same four-character party but be like, all right, now I'm this full character. So yep. now I'm going to make the ranger the real character and this person not. You don't lose anything. You don't have to throw anything away. Literally, you just swap out some cards and you're good to go. So I think the variety in the characters and the like flexibility they give you is awesome. Uh, the one complaint I'll have is that the leveling up is totally linear. So I could see it being boring to like use the same characters in the full campaign again. But with 12 of them, I don't know why you would have to. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know why you'd ever have to trap yourself into that. So, uh, yes. Yeah, and I'll get a little more into that later. But I do love that companion thing. It really works well. And honestly, there's no reason why you couldn't just use four companions if you wanted to. Absolutely. And, and not have a main character or use full four characters. Although, I think if you're playing solo and using uh, four full characters, that would be a lot. That would be yeah. a whole lot. Yeah, I mean, I, I would compare compare the hand management to Gloomhaven. It is like a somewhat similar level of complexity. So, you know, if, if you if you soloed four characters in Gloomhaven, you might be okay here. But I think that's a lot. Yeah. So you get seven cards. Um, just because I don't get into this too much, I guess I talk about it a little bit. But you get seven cards each mission, and even though you're leveling up, you'll just switch out those cards. The first time you look at those seven cards, because they're all like pretty full little paragraphs two or three sentences of like what the ability does and so when you first get it it can be a little overwhelming but that is definitely something that goes away over time i can't imagine though trying to learn three or four characters at the same time like your head would explode um all right so getting into my number three is the campaign so mike already talked a little bit about this and the reason it's a little higher on my list is because it's something i think about When I think about playing this game, I don't think you can think about it without a campaign. The difference between this game and one of my other favorites, Cthulhu Death May Die, is I can pull Cthulhu Death May Die off the shelf and just play one off and and be done with it and move on. I feel like this one, there's a lot more investment. Now, they do give you ways to just level up and join back in the campaign wherever you want to. So you could just restart kind of halfway through, draw some items up, draw some whatever, and it wouldn't be that big of a deal. But I do feel like it's something you you need to think about. This is a game where you're going to really, once you get invested, you're really going to want to play through it. And I know you can bring people in and out, no problem, and it shouldn't affect the story. And and there is a decent story here, though. As Mike was saying, I'd almost feel like they missed out on a lot. So unlike, and I'm not too, too, just put this out here, too. I did not finish the campaign yet, so I haven't gotten all the way through it. But I've certainly enjoyed it as I've played through it and I've enjoyed the story. And so I think bringing somebody in in the middle would be a little bit harder, even though mechanically it's not hard. I think just having them join partway through, I, I do feel like they'd be missing something. And the one thing I love, and Mike talked about this when he talked about it too, there's three different ways to do this campaign. You have the full campaign books. So for, and actually there's a picture of it on the screen right now, for those who love to read stuff and and want to read it themselves, they can do that. They have the app. And honestly, it was funny because you can only save one campaign at a time at the app. And I'm like, oh, that's a little disappointing. But honestly, you just select your chapter anyway. There's no saved information on the app. It's not like a descent app or any of this stuff. It literally is just helping you through your decisions and reading the story to you. And that's perfect. I didn't think I needed or wanted anything else from the app for that. Um, And then there's the short campaign as well. And 
you know, if you just don't want to sit there for 30 minutes and go through this whole narrative experience, the short campaign is actually quite good. That's the first way Mike and I played. We just went through and you basically get not the whole story, but night. Well, you get the whole story. You just don't get the decision branching paths to it. And I almost think for a first time through, that's not bad. So if you have people that aren't as into the story and don't want to do like a choose your own adventure on the board and a little bit of mystery solving and things like that, there is a little there is a little bit of a game to the campaign portion mm-hmm. of it um, where you're making decisions and actually the text matters. They give you clues in the text. And that's something I, you know, Mike had to point out to me and I had to point out to Jason. And I don't know that everybody will pick up on that the first time, but they kind of tell you what's going on and where to look if you read the narrative closely enough. So uh, that's kind of fun. But if you don't want any of that, you just do the short campaign and it's literally one page and it gets you through everything you need to know and you're not losing out on any of the story. You're just more losing out on the gaminess of it. So I I love the three different options. I think it's great. Um, You know, depending on what you're in the mood for, you can, you know, switch back and forth between them as well. All right. So uh, my number three is the bosses. And there's another pretty much all pro for me. Um, A really great thing this game does that uh, KDM does not do. Townsfolk Tussle does not do. Vagrant Song we covered recently does not do. Is that, uh, like I said, you get to see the AI card for the boss ahead of time at the beginning of each round. And I love that. I mean, it, it just really, I haven't found that it leads to AP, but it lets the players intelligently discuss like what they want to do, figure out how like one person can tank or like protect another player. I think it really opens up the tactical possibilities instead of just kind of having things be random and the boss teleporting around in some crazy way. So I really like that. Um, I think the, the variety in the bosses is great. Like I said, sometimes they're like, just a single person, but even when they're a single person, they do different stuff. Like, they might have a different way of doing their facing or their body parts. They might have like a unique deck of cards they pull from that. You can have squads, you can have spawners. So each boss that I've played like Peter, I haven't finished the entire campaign, but I've gotten pretty far. Um, each boss feels very different, feels very unique. They each have their own unique deck of cards. Uh, what one minor complaint I'll give is that <clears throat> they do repeat effects in the uh, boss AI deck and the AI decks are each 15 cards uh, deep. So I think there's probably in each of those 15 card decks, maybe like seven or eight unique cards and you'll see the same one a little bit. No, I don't mind that. It means some predictability. Like you can kind of tell what the boss might do and prepare for it. Um, but it is something to note. Uh, the, the only small complaint I have is that uh, the bosses, it is very important to know which way they're facing because uh, yeah. based on what angle you attack from, you're going to hit different parts of their body. And when you break their body parts, they attack you. So th- that's a minor complaint because uh, the miniatures do have like an arrow pointing which way. And I assume the standees are kind of even more obvious with it because they're just a two dimensional plane. But uh, it can be a little bit annoying sometimes to like uh, parse which uh, angle you're attacking from. And also, um, I-, I do find that I sort of tend to follow a similar strategy most times where I'll like da- do a lot of damage to all the dice and then break them because they accelerate into later stages that have more powerful cards. I don't mind that because it means you have to kind of strategically move around and hit them from different angles and stuff. But, you know, there is a bit of a sameness in some of the boss fights in that aspect. It doesn't bother me, but I just think it's just kind of worth uh, noting. Yeah, I mean, there are some that are definitely very different, though. Uh, but even with that, they will each have, you know, several hit point dice. So, yeah, no, no, I, I agree with that and disagree with it. All at the same time, I do love how the the bosses level up too, where they have stage one, then stage two, then stage three. And if you take too long, they're going to go through those cards or and or if you, you know, break a certain number of dice, Mm -hmm. they'll also level up. So there's a couple ways they accelerate it. And then when they go through the deck, then they will um, they will just go through those level three cards again. So you're not going back to the earlier stages. So that's how they accelerate it. There's no real timer in it except for their cards just get worse and worse as they go down, which is kind of a neat way of doing it. Alrighty. How about your number two? Um, so my number two is the battle flow system. And I think yeah. that, I mean, I know it's going to be near here at the top. Like it is one of the coolest things uh, that this game does. So, your player board has four sides, obviously. The bottom is the zero cooldown spot. And then the left is one. On the top, it's two. And on the right, it's three. And you have seven cards, as I said earlier, every time. One is a cooldown zero card. Two are cooldown one, two cooldown two, cooldown cooldown three. And when you play any of those skill cards to a spot, they're going to take every card that is in that spot and move it, cool it down one. 
The cards don't automatically cool down on their own. They do not push. So if I play a three and I cool down or do battle flow to that card in the three spot, it does not battle flow all those cards in the two spot down as well. All it does is every card in the three spot moves to the two spot. So you have to kind of chain combos where you're going three and then two. You do have a card that automatically can battle flow one. You have to spend some of your energy, which is your like action points or whatever you want to call it. Um, I think they call it animus in the game. You can you have to spend animus to do it, but you can battle flow one card if you want. You also get equipment and it works the same way. It goes in these battle flow spots, but it does not battle flow other cards. And it, there, it's very clear on the card that it doesn't. So I just like how you're, choosing your cards and your actions not only based on like what's going on on the board which is a hugely important part of it but also you're making a lot of decisions based on the card play now the only negative to this is jason uh was having a little bit of a hard time with it because he said it's basically like playing this full card game with your hand but then you have the board element as well I love that. For me, that's awesome. It felt like playing, I think he even mentioned Marvel Champions. Like you're playing a game Marvel Champions and you got to deal with this board thing. Well, I love tactical combat on the board. I love tactical card play. I think it's way better than Gloomhaven personally. And it leads to these cinematic moments that I never feel like I get in Gloomhaven. So for me, this combat system was amazing. And the battle flow is kind of the key central part of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to talk about that in a second. I'm not going to say it's better than Gloomhaven. I think they, they hit different itches and they do different things. I think it is similarly tactically interesting uh, to Gloomhaven, which is very high praise for me. So my number two is uh, kind of related to what you had talked about, Peter. It's really focused on the token use and the uh, the dice system and a bit of like the kind of tactical combat within there, too. I think the game gives a lot of good like resource management choices I like the uh, the use of the Animus Gems to play your cards and also to move. You can spend any single Animus Gem to move, so you can kind of move as much or as little as you want on your turn very in a very easy, flowing way while playing your cards. That's definitely uh, in stark contrast to something like Gloomhaven, where movement is so uh, restricted by the cards you play at the start of Why the Why don't turn. you talk a little bit more about Animus? Because I don't think we touched on it very much. Yeah, so each player will have a max amount of Animus. These are like gems. It's very similar, by the way, to anybody who's played the Conan or Batman systems from Monolith. Uh, those games have very similar systems. So you uh, you have Animus. You'll have like eight gems, let's say. Uh, each gem you move from the right to the left lets you move one hex. And then each ability card you play has a cost in Animus, usually from like two to four. And uh, at the beginning of each turn, you get some of your Animus gems moved back to the right. You usually have a recovery stat of like six or seven or something like that. So that, that's the basic idea. Like they are the resource you use to play your cards, but they're also the resource you use to generally move. You get some back. You always get less back than your full total. So you have to like make those choices. If you want to go big on one turn, you'll have less kind of action points to use on the next turn. So I think that works really well. I also really like the tokens, like you said, Peter. And yeah, I, I agree with you that I think the flexibility of the dice system, the card system, and also I don't think you mentioned this much, but just like kind of the excitement of the pushing your luck and the fact that um, when you roll a ton of dice or draw a ton of cards, even if you miss, even if you get those two or more blanks and your attack doesn't happen, the fact that you get all your tokens back, that you get another bonus token... I found that it really encourages you to go for these big attacks and go for these exciting, like roll a ton of dice and to see what happened kind of moments, um, which I think is really fun. So I find the entire like resolution and kind of resource management system of the game, tokens and animus and uh, all that stuff to just be excellent. It's uh, one of my favorite recent like kind of randomization methods in a game of this type. Yeah, and I think the the tactical puzzle, you know, we were talking about a minute ago with card play and everything else. I didn't even mention the animus as part of that. And it definitely adds to that puzzle. And I, I do think it is really a uh, a neat way of doing things. And you're right, it's, it's right from Conan. But I just love the flexibility of it. And I love how it adds to the puzzle itself. So there, there's definitely some thinkiness going on. And the first play will definitely not be... Um, 
you know, super straightforward. You know, it's going to take a little bit of a learning curve, but I feel like the rest of the game, and I don't think we're getting into this. This is why I'm, I'm mentioning it here. I don't think the rest of the game <laughs> is that complicated. The enemy AI is pretty straightforward. Um, they kind of do what they do, even when there's a bunch of rats and stuff that swarm on the board. I, that's not much of a spoiler. It's right on the cover of the box. So, <laughs> I, will, I mean, I, that's that's the one boss that I will spoil for you. Like, um, yeah, even when there's a bunch of those things, they don't. It's not like they activate. So the 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 boss activates every time you attack and destroy a dice. They'll activate with their card. But not all of the little minions with them will activate every time that that happens. That only happens once at the end of the enemy phase. So even if the board does start to swarm up with a bunch of little guys, they're not necessarily going to activate all that often. So, um, yeah, I, I like how they do that as well. So there's a bonus six point. Um, <laughs> the Animus just adds to that puzzle. Uh, but my number one, you've already mentioned it. You, it was two points for you. It's one for me. The heroes and the bosses, very unique. It's the kind of game like a Marvel Champions, like whatever else. Each time you go in, you have a different boss. You can have different heroes. And so it's a unique puzzle every time you play. Uh, it's just really well designed. I mean, to me, the combats are cinematic. Each boss feels different. Uh, I like the way you break their dice, and when you break certain dice, then they attack for less damage. So mm-hmm. yes, Mike pointed out that it's a very good strategy a lot of time to weaken some dice, but sometimes I'll just go in and I see, oh no, they have a big attack coming in from their front. I'm just going to break that front dice right away. Yeah. So that way that all their attacks with their front dice become weaker for the rest of the combat. So, I mean you know, they do give you a reason to use different strategies. And I like that. And I think each boss is going to have its own unique strategy you're going to have to go with. I think your team composition matters. I think where you're positioned on the board matters because their attacks will be area effects sometimes or a lot of times. And so you want to set it up so that the person that breaks their dice, wait a minute, let me run somebody off to the side and have them break the dice even though it's not necessarily a dice I want to break or area I want to have. They're just over there right now. Let me get that area effect so it's not hitting all the rest of my guys. So I I do think there's a lot of tactical things. And again, each hero you use is going to change that puzzle up. Each boss you uh, you go against is going to change that up. I think they do a real good job of making each of those bosses unique. Um, And then healing. Healing is a big thing in these games, and they do have healing in it. But the healers usually damage themselves as well, or at least the one I was playing with. Uh, tended to damage themselves. So it's not a situation where you just can keep playing forever. Uh, eventually, you know, there, there's going to be an end that comes and they don't have to use a timer for it because healing isn't as prevalent um, or, or as easy to get. Yeah, and my number one is repeating stuff you've already said. Uh, it's a battle flow system. I love it. I think it's awesome. I, the only thing I'll add, I don't think you talked as much about it, Peter, is that uh, they integrate the items you have in yep. your inventory and the injuries into the exact same system in a really smooth way. When you're playing the full character, the items give you bonuses. So it's not like, like yes, having an axe lets you roll you know, darker colored dice and potentially do more damage, but it also gives you some like cool ability you can use. And when you use it, it goes into your battle flow. And that those cards of themselves don't flow, but if you play other abilities, they can. And then the same thing with these injuries, when you get injured from getting knocked out, because uh, if you lose all your hit points at the end of a battle, then you get knocked out. Um, then you gain an injury, and you have to play those whenever that you're they're in your hand. They do some immediate effect, and then they sit in your battle flow, and you want to not flow them. You want to leave them up there as long as possible, so they don't come back to your hand, and the injury acts up again. So yeah, I just think the entire system, like the way they integrate these different elements, and all of it adds into this like really fun kind of tactical puzzle. Um, it's totally great. And again, if it's if it's too complicated for somebody when they're learning the game, just give them a companion and they can have at it with a much easier version of the game. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's excellent. Yeah. The one thing I'll say is the injuries are the one thing that disappoints me a little bit. Um, and again, neither of us finished the g- campaign, so I don't know how it's going to work toward the end. But they have these cards that you can shuffle into the injury deck that makes it so when you get an injury, you, it's like a, a non-injury. And that's right. right in the rule book. So that's not a spoiler. But then you get an ability very early on in the game that lets you just heal the injury cards. So it it almost like replaces that other thing. I mean, unless you're getting, you know, two or three people injured on every mission, it feels like that one system where you're shuffling cards in for like a way higher cost because you, you almost want to shuffle five in a turn and it's five times the cost of healing an injury. And there's no guarantee you'll ever even pull those cards out. So it's kind of a weird... 
Like that. That's uh, right, wait. I mean, that, that's that, a, that's a, always cost five money, Peter. Whereas the injury healing thing costs the current chapter, so it'll be like fifteen and twenty eventually. Oh, maybe I'll have to look back because I thought it was the cost of the chapter. So maybe I was overpaying for those as well. I'll have to look back. No, no I, I might be wrong, but no, I agree with you that they have this thing that lets you heal injuries, which I think is kind of necessary, but at the same time, is a little bit like I, I sort of like the injuries. I almost wouldn't mind having to keep the injuries <laughs> because. Right. We do make the tactical landscape a little more interesting. So, yeah, now I hear you on that. Yeah, so, I mean, that's a little nitpick for me, though. So, Mike, do you want to go over your final thoughts? Yeah, um, I think uh, this is, as of right now, I would say my top boss battler. Um, and I played a lot of them. Now, you know, I, I still am really excited about Primal and Aeon Trespass and ones that are coming. But... Uh, you know, it, it doesn't have everything that every other boss battler has. If you want one that's a quick one-off play, I'd still recommend Townsfolk Tussle more. If you uh, want a much more brutal one that has a really awesome settlement phase, then I'd recommend KDM. But I think uh, this one has some of the best tactical combat I've seen in a boss battler or a dungeon crawler in a while. I love the battle flow system. I think the way the bosses activate is very straightforward. I think there's a lot of cooperation and like tactical nuance here. Um, you know, the narrative is not my favorite way of structuring a narrative, but I think it's incredibly well written and I'm very invested in the story. So I think it's all good. Um, now, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to recommend this one to people who don't want a huge game, uh, because even if you get the standee version, it's still one really giant box that's packed full. And if you get the miniatures version, it's ridiculous. It's tons of boxes. Um, yeah, really I got expensive. a couple I'll show here, like just the terrain, oh, okay. like <laughs> you can see it compared to my head, which is ridiculous. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's really big. It's really expensive. Uh, like Peter said, you have to be ready for like the long haul. This isn't really like made for one-off play, at least from what I've seen. I mean, you could kind of like cobble to get actually, you know, and it, it would work. They tell you how to make a character at any level. So you could just throw together a party of four characters at level 15 and fight the level 15 boss, I guess, if you wanted to. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this is, this is not going to be great for every group. But I will say it's really good for solo. Those companions make solo well, so I think it works at all player counts. That's something I don't say a lot for these games. In fact, I often tell you people like not to play KDM yep. with maybe more than one or two players. Not not a warning here. Um, and it's epic, and it's exciting, and it's thrilling. So yeah, if this is a game for you, I'd definitely look into the reprint campaign. But just be ready for a lot of money, a lot of bigness, and a very long campaign. Yeah, so I mean, I'm going to say it right, right here now. This is probably going to be my game of the year. Uh, there's no question. It would have been my game last year. Probably would have been my game of the year the year before. It's probably going to be in my top 10 games of all time. I mean, I like this game that much. I like card play. I like tactical combat. I like what you're doing with the Animus. The puzzle is great to me. It's very interesting. I don't know. I mean, I'm enjoying the story that's being read to me, but I will probably prefer to do the shorter narrative from here on out. Um and I don't feel like I'm losing anything. I, that narrative is still just as well written. Um, in fact, I think a lot of the, you know, I think they take a lot of the narrative out and they just, you know, use the exact same words and everything else. They just make it a shorter condensed version and take in away a lot of the choices, which, as you said, don't really do anything anyway at the end of the day. So uh, for me, the only negative with the, I love the big miniatures, but it does make it not as transportable. Uh, I will say if I had a choice, you know, some games give you everything, right? They give you the standees, they give you, and then if you buy the miniatures, you just get the miniatures extra. Here they do replace all the, the standees with miniatures in the main box. And then there's three other giant boxes of miniatures to go along with it as well. So it's not very transportable. If you're going over to a friend's house, whatever else, it's really a game, I mean, it's less transportable than Gloomhaven. I thought Gloomhaven wasn't transportable. This is way less transportable than Gloomhaven. Um, now, if you get the standee version, then it will all fit in one box. And it's about the size of a Gloomhaven box, a little bit bigger. But like something like that, I would take with me to Gen Con. I'm not taking this mm -hmm. these four giant boxes with me. Now, what I did say <laughs> you could do when we were talking earlier today is just take the base box and one or two of the villains, or, or one or two of the, the bad guys that you know you want to play against. Um, and they do give you terrain, um, just like cardboard terrain that you could put down uh, to replace the terrain. So that part they give you, even if they don't give you the standees. So you could take in a, a little bit smaller form factor version with you, but I mean, 
yeah, if you're trying to take the whole game somewhere, you're leaving it there. Um, <laughs> cause this is not, <laughs> that, that, that's to me the only negative, but I love this game. It's right up there with me. If I want to play a one-off dungeon crawler, I'm going to play Cthulhu Death May Die. If I want to play a more of a campaign epic game with a lot uh, of cool tactical decisions, then I'm going to play this one. Um, it, it's definitely probably my top dungeon crawl right now. Certainly my top campaign yeah. game. I might agree with that, but since I like dungeon crawlers and campaign games less than you, I would not say it's definitely my top game of the year, but it's certainly top three or four. And you guys um, know how much I like adventure tactics. And I will say adventure tactics, town tussle, all these games that we've played have all I've had problems and I've had a lot of questions when I'm playing through mm -hmm. missions. I haven't had that with this game. And it's amazing how much better of an experience it is when you're playing through a campaign and you know pretty much exactly what to do. The AI is very straightforward. It says they always want to go north and then they always want to go west. They actually have great tutorial videos as well that you can watch. Um, it's part of their app. If you download their app, which is free for anybody to download, uh, go to their website, whatever. They have tutorial videos that walk you through exactly how the enemy is going to activate. I really haven't had very many questions when playing, and that's a huge pro for me. Um, something else I didn't mention in, in the top five, but uh, yeah, that's a huge pro for this one. Yeah, I mean, they... Uh... This is a class act in terms of like production and organization. They like tell you how to set up stuff at the beginning of the game. They tell you how to put everything back in the box in a really clear, like visual way. The rules I think are really well laid out. The like video support for learning the rules. Um, again, the writing, the app. I think they've done for I, I think a first time kick you know, like game creator. I think they've done an unbelievably impressive job. Um, with basically every aspect of the game. So, well, really the only complaint I have is the miniatures. Um, their arms fall off. Like, yeah, yeah, the, the push to fit. I didn't have them falling off for too many of them, but there are a couple of characters where they fall off yep. like consistently. And yeah, you, you kind of have to, if, if you went in, they have like this armory box you can buy that lets you switch out their arms. That's why they wanted to have the push to fit, I think. So you have to kind of make the call of like, do you want to glue the arm or just deal with the arm sometimes falling out? I think Peter already made the, the choice to glue some of them. So yeah, <laughs> there, there were a couple of them that, like you said, it's not all of them. A lot of them actually, they're holding two-handed weapons. So like their mm -hmm. arms stick together a lot easier. But the ones that had one-handed weapons, especially that the ones that were, you know, stand, their arms out to the side or whatever, yeah, th those fell off. And th there were two characters specifically. I just, I was like, I'm done with it. I'm gluing them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's fine. We, we, we just won't change what they look like. So, all right. Uh, yeah, huge ringing endorsements from uh, both of us. I'm looking forward to, mostly Peter and I have been playing with other people. So I'm looking forward to us uh, playing the full campaign with each other. But let's get into our design discussion. Uh, Cooldowns for abilities. So this is going to like adventure games and dungeon crawlers and all those kind of things. They like to have, and this is of course um, a pullover from... Well, I was going to say a pullover from video games, but I guess if we go back, D&D uh, &D and old RPGs and stuff would have cooldowns before video games really had this idea. So it went from <laughs> tabletop games to video games, and then I feel like back to tabletop games in new ways. And but yeah, so uh, go ahead, Peter. I was going to say, there's a lot of ways to do this. Um, we've even done something in our Dragon game that's coming up where you have cooldown on your life. As you get injured, you repair your life, but it comes back and it's in the deck builder. And the way you do that is the life cards get shuffled in with the rest of the cards. So, I mean, their deck builders are ways to do it. There's ways like this where you got some kind of battle flow or some kind of timer system. We played a game earlier this year on the stream channel. Uh, what was that one by the Red Dragon Inn people? Is that who it was? Oh, um, Tales from the Red Dragon that? Inn. Yeah, Tales from the Dragon Inn. They had a neat cooldown system where you put, you know, time tokens on it and you'd remove one at the beginning of every turn, but you could spend actions to remove them as well if you wanted to get your actions back faster. So I think there's a lot of neat ways to do it. And I love the way that we're exploring this now, um, mm -hmm. you know, with these adventure dungeon crawl ways. Um, even um, 
what is it? Title Blades 2. It's not necessarily a cooldown system, but again, you have this deck of cards. When you put three down in a row or a column, then you remove all three of them from the board, and so you don't have access to all the power that you had before, and you kind of got to build back up again. Um, and if you want certain cards and you know you're about to shuffle, maybe you do that intentionally to get them back, some of those cards back faster. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of cool things and a lot of neat ways we've uh, worked on this lately. Um you know, as as an as a game design industry, I love what people are doing with it. Yeah, so I uh, you you name basically all the ones I was thinking of, and I actually forgot the title blades one. I think that's kind of a cool variation on things. But let's uh, let's talk through kind of the pros and cons of a few of them. Sure. So starting with, I think your first one was cards that go into a deck and cycle back through. I would say Gloomhaven uses this. Yep. Um, basically, right? Like you play your cards that go into the discard pile. You got to wait until you uh, rest to get your hand back. Uh, deck builders that have these kind of games use this because when you play the card or when you buy the card, it goes to your discard pile. You got to bring it back around. So I would say, uh, I think one of the big benefits of the, that method is the total lack of tracking, right? Yep. You don't need tokens. You don't need rotation. You don't need anything. The card's gone. You shuffle, you know, you play for a while, you do something, it comes back, boom, you got it. Are there any negatives of it? I mean, I think thematically it's a little bit weird. Like, why and, and and it works for card games, even some of my favorite ones, Marvel Champions, right? Why am I coming out without my suit on, right? Why why do I have to right. get my weapon before I can swing it? And you know, games like Sentinels of the Multiverse, things like that. Yeah, I, yep, I think yep, yep. I think it's very similar. Where it's like, okay, now I've done this cool kick. I understand, I guess, thematically a little bit, and that's why the cool system, cooldown system, is the way it is. Like, all right, maybe I'm exhausted from it and I can't do it again. But like, I mean. Bruce Lee's not going to like kick to the head and go, well, I can't do that for another five minutes. So, I mean, I guess maybe that's just a cooldown system in general is a little bit weird, but it feels even weirder in these card systems. Uh, Cause you know, it's like, well, why can't I do that again? Um, they, they yeah, don't and also they give justification. For, for a lot of them, it can be a variable amount of time before you get it back. Right. Like, yep. especially with like a deck builder, if you, if it's the last card you play before you shuffle your deck and then it's the bottom of the next, like go through of your deck. Or I guess the first card you play would be even longer time. Yep. Another potential con I see is that um, it's tough to differentiate. You know, like I think it's cool when you have different cooldowns or different costs for different powers, yep. right? But generally speaking, with these kind of things, um, it's all just into the deck and then back out again. Although there are some cool ways to do that. You know, Gloomhaven has um, taking the card out of the deck entirely when you do like the really powerful effects. And then one I just thought of, if you remember this, Peter, is a Pathfinder Adventure card game. That one had uh, some cards would go to the bottom of your deck, some cards would go to the top of your deck, so like you'd get it again soon. Some cards would get shuffled into your deck, some cards would like be one use per campaign, or, you know, scenario. One, some cards would get discarded, but you could heal them back. So I think that one did a good job with keywords to kind of build in different levels of cooldown while still keeping it all like card based and deck based. Yeah, no, that's a really good example. I was thinking Aeon's End, where you you know you don't shuffle, you just you know flip it oh, over sure. and, and keep going. But no, I think your example is a lot better with Pathfinder Adventure card game. Yeah, Gloomhaven does it a lot differently because you do get to choose when you want to rest and get stuff mm -hmm. back. Um, and I think you know getting you know if we want to move past this a little bit onto the Tales from Red Dragon Inn, they give you that option yeah. as well. Do you want to sit there and spend time doing something to cool something down so now you can do something super epic more often, but you're wasting a lot of time in between. You're not doing the little hits in between. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, that system for me has the pro of you know each individual skill can have its own separate cooldown. And then even taking that a step further, you can decide how and when you want to cool those things down even faster. And, and it, it's part of the tactical decisions of the game, which uh, to me is like one of the better ways to do it. There's a little more tracking. That's one of the big negatives. Yeah. And I was going to say that's kind of the more like traditional sort of world of Warcraft inspired system, right? Like each of your skills has its own individual cooldown. And when you use it, that starts the other potential negative I see with that. I do like on the positive side that it gives these very specific costs and very specific times and makes each skill kind of feel unique. And me using one skill doesn't mess with another skill. Um, another potential negative is I think it's tough to balance those correctly. A uh, sword and sorcery had a similar system to this where like each skill would have its own cooldown. 
in that if you make the cooldowns too short, but you can but you have to like use your action to activate skills. Um, you need to balance the skills just right, otherwise you'll fall into a rut of using the same skills over and over again because they keep yeah. on coming back too fast. But on the other hand, if you make the school cooldowns too long, then you lose the cool, unique feeling of using your powers and doing that kind of stuff. So I think it is a tough one to thread, and I definitely found sometimes in Red Dragon Inn and in Sword and Sorcery that the cooldowns kind of hedged on that too short thing, and I'd like use the same skill every two turns. I'd be like, oh, well, this is just... You know, like, the cooldown doesn't matter anymore. So I think you have to be careful with your cooldown, like, numbers and balancing of abilities when you go that route. Yeah, I think Oathsworn does something similar. You know, instead of having tokens to track it, it just has sides of your board. I mean, to me, that's not much of a difference. But you don't automatically get it back, and you, you they're putting the player in charge of cooldowns. And again, it creates a unique, interesting puzzle. Now, does it thematically yeah. make sense? I don't know. Like, like I don't know that any of these I mean, thematically yeah, yeah. make that much sense. But it certainly makes gameplay more fun. Well, yeah, and I think both Osworn and Tidal Blades are doing kind of a similar thing. And that's one reason they're both top games of mine this year, and I think yours too. Yep. Um, in that... It's like a longer term choice, but the individual cards, the individual abilities on cooldown interact with the other cards, right? In Oathsworn, it's like cards pushing each other, trying to build up a bunch of cards in the same spot so they all go at the same time. In Tidal Blades, it's trying to get multiple uses out of the same powerful card by hitting it from different angles and then deciding when you want to lose abilities to get like one big attack or one big turn off. So I think both of those have kind of similar you know, DNA, even though it's a different system. And I find them both like super fascinating where, you know, for better or worse, like Jason said, in a, maybe a not so positive way, the, uh, the management of the cooldown becomes its own little like side game, but a really interesting quick one, right? Like not like in a, at least for me, not in a negative kind of pejorative way that I don't want to deal with this, that it's annoying, that it's taking me away from the board, but in a very like impactful, exciting, like, ooh, I pulled off this combo kind of way, you know? Now, in both of these games, I've had failures, though. And um, for me, that's exciting because it means that there is stuff to think about and it's not just, yeah. get, you know, uh, just throw, laying a card down and it does its own thing. I've had failures in uh, Title Blades where I couldn't move. Like, I literally set myself up in a way where I had no move cards in my hand and, like, I had a bunch of attack cards. And basically, I was just clearing a row just to clear out some movement spots and hopefully draw up some movement cards as well. So I do think there are ways that you can mess yourself up in these games, and that's good to me. That leads to more tactical. But I know for some people, that could be frustrating. I had a situation in Oathsworn when I was playing one day where I literally had all my cards on the one spot. And I'm like, oh gosh, what do I do now? So I had a turn of basically, now I didn't realize, and this is something to know also, when you um, play that zero cost card that lets you cycle a card, you move a card from the one spot to the zero spot if you choose to, and then you lay that zero cost card down. When you play a zero cost card to a spot, and this is very specific, but I'm just pointing out that you're not stuck, basically, because you will redraw that card. If there's any cards in the zero spot they battle flow to your hand so the way that one card works is you're not going to actually get stuck but we didn't realize when you played zero cards it battle flowed into your hand at the time and so if you do get in a situation or somebody gets in that situation just a little hint you can get out of it um but i do like where you go oh no look what situation i put myself in like maybe i'll have to spend a whole turn getting out of it again not exactly the case um but i will say that sometimes you take certain cards back in Oathsworn or you're cycling certain cards just to battle flow or i've played cards before for a very minor effect where i'm not even doing the attack on it maybe i'm just getting a shield or something but just to battle flow two or three cards to get to the next spot so i like how it's all part of the puzzle and so for me this is a unique system i've not seen it anywhere else but i'd like to start seeing it in other places um yeah and, you know, something I think we forgot to mention in the review, but I think it's really important for the battle flow system is that you defend, you give yourself bonus defense by putting your cards in the battle flow system too, which is, a, you know, you were saying the battle flow might not be thematic. I, I totally can't argue with you there. But what is super thematic is that as you get more exhausted, as you put more of your cards on your board, 
you are less able to defend yourself well. And if yep. theoretically, eventually you have all your cards on your board, you literally cannot boost your defense anymore. You are incredibly vulnerable to the enemy attacks. So yeah, I, I think that's a really cool addition as well that, uh, again, does kind of make more thematic sense tied with mechanics in the system. Yeah, and so you you want to do all these cool things. And, and so I, I think this system, and this is why this game is so high for me, is near the top of the systems for me. Now, I will say the card system's pretty good too. For a lot of things you said, as far as tracking goes, you do have the, you know, random card draw, which can lead to bad situations. But I think these two systems are probably two of my favorite. Well, I, I mean, I like all of them, actually. All the games we've talked about, I like their system. Uh, now, let's think. Now, Stuff- there is one system we haven't talked about yet. Yeah. Um, and this is... Now, some people might not even call this a cooldown system, but I think it is. It's just a uh, it's a shared cooldown resource. Um, first examples that spring to mind to me are Imperial Assault or Descent uh, First and Second Edition, not Descent uh, Legends of the Dark. They changed Oh, well, that had an, a cooldown system, too. We can talk about that. Oh, gosh. You know what? That one just sucked. I don't need to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it. Uh, but, but yeah, so Descent Second Edition and Imperial Assault have a universal fatigue resource that you can use to move extra or that you pay for most of your abilities by putting fatigue, on, by spending fatigue to activate them. And I think the... The big positive for me there is that resource management and like weighing where do I want to spend this? How do I want to use it? And at the same time, it's a lot easier to track. It's much less fiddly than like having tokens on every single card. Um, The negative for me (laughs) is again, the balancing thing, because if you have one ability that's way better than others or one ability that's kind of crud, you're never going to use it because it's pulling from the same resource. You know, whereas if it it had its own cooldown, or if it was just a card that you could play for free, you would definitely use it. But when it's all pulling from the same thing, you need to get that balance on like the exact razor's edge or some things become dead cards. And I get really frustrated. Like I remember uh, Mice and Mystics was one that had a ton of dead cards. Like I was like, well, I'm never going to use that card again. This card is literally better in every way. Yep. My cheese is going to this card and not that card. So that personally frustrates me, but it is, you know, I, I respect and understand that it is a challenge when you do it this way to balance things right so they're all like viable choices for you to play with yeah i view that more as a action point system than a cooldown system um and probably same thing with um with descent legends in the dark third edition they had a a situation where you could flip over to recharge abilities and stuff like that that's where it's a little bit more of a cooldown system to me but um, I view this more as like the Animus tokens, right? It's like there's a cost sure. to play a card. It's almost like your resource for the turn. This is how many resources you have to do a certain amount of actions. But yes, I mean, I guess similar to Conan too, right? So where you've got this certain amount of resources to use for your turn, what are you going to use it for? So yeah, I guess that's in in and of itself its own cooldown system. I do prefer the other ones we've talked about much more mm. than that system though because it does feel like there's an actual cooldown for that one specific skill yeah i mean i like you said i like this better as an action system i think it does work super well in conan works super well here in osworn for like the payment resource and for movement i mean i don't know but i did like it a lot in imperial assault and descent but i think they did it in an interesting way and you had the choice you know it wasn't like you automatically got it back you did have to like take a rest action to kind of refill it so I think that was engaging. I definitely did not like the cooldown system or whatever you want to call it in Legends of the Dark, but I didn't like a lot of stuff about that game. So, yes. yeah. Yeah. Are we going to finish that soon, Peter? Uh, no, we're not going to finish that ever. Finish that campaign? No? Okay. No, 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 no. <laughs> you could probably guess that one is not in our top dungeon crawls of all time <laughs> because uh, as many people have pointed out, it is just walk up to something and hit it. Yeah. and well, even- Peter, the table presence, the table presence, man. I mean, remember those, remember those stairs? It, that was my number one for a reason because I didn't like the gameplay. <laughs> like literally, like when you make something your number one point, that's as minute as like how good the game looks on the table. That means that none of the rest of it stood out to me, and that was the only Go thing that was that was the only reason to own it. <laughs> um, but anyway, not, enough bashing on uh, Descent uh, Legend in the Dark. Uh, Fantasy Flight is uh, they made some great games. Marvel Champions, really good. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> So uh, well, I think I think we've covered all the main like games and like methods I wanted to kind of uh, talk about. 
No, I agree. So bottom line is, I think we're very in favor of a cooldown system. Like, it sounds like both you and I, like, really like this in games. I know, uh, well, Cthulhu Death May Die doesn't have it, so I guess you don't have to have it for me to really enjoy your crawl. But <laughs> um, I, I've really, in games that have had it, it's one of the standout features for me. I, I remember it in those games, and they're going to be near my number one point for all of those. Well, yeah, and we didn't really talk about why to do this kind of stuff. Basically, you can have cooler, mo more epic, more memorable abilities and moments by giving them a cost to offset their awesomeness that you can't do it every turn. <laughs> you know, like, I know it's it's a simple thing to say, but like in Marvel Champions, you can attack for two or three every turn with your basic thing, but you can play this card that you have to wait to cycle back around again for six damage and hitting multiple people, you know, or... Yep. Yes, you can swing your sword normally every turn in Oathsworn, but this turn you can backstab and get plus 10 damage, you know? And so, yeah, I think um, cooldowns, they are naturally popular and have been going all the way back to original, like, D&D &D and Chainmail and all that because it is cool to have superpowers. It is cool to, like, have more epic things than normal, but you have to balance it somehow. And, and any of the ways we've talked about uh, cooldown systems are ways to do that but still have them come back consistently because cooldown is different than one and done, which is what Gloomhaven's most powerful abilities are. Well, I was about and, to say, I mean, that's a form of cooldown though, right? They have once permission well, abilities. What are they called? Like, yeah. It, it's, it's an infinite cooldown. Well, right. <laughs> it never cools down. <laughs> well, it comes back in your next mission. You get to use it again. Well, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm trying to think there are games that do that though. Um, I don't think it's Hearthsworn has that or Hearthstone or whatever, which is more of a video game, but what are those things called? Uh, oh, I know what it was. War Machine had it, where it's like your Warcaster has this like once a game ability that's sure. really cool. So those are a form of cooldown as well, you know, something that you can only use once. But yeah, no, I like those epic abilities. Um, and yeah, for me, it's the same thing. That's that's why I like these in games because you can make cooler things that you have that lead to these epic moments. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a general piece of advice for designing, like, any tactical or dungeon crawler or adventure game. Like, give your players abilities to let them do amazing things that they can high-five about at some point. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, don't don't just leave things to the, the bare minimum kind of basics. Um, and Nick and says, uh, did we answer the question when everybody else is getting their game? How are we supposed to know, Nick? What are we, the publisher? Like, I don't know when, it, when it's coming out. Like, it should be soon, I would imagine. It's, you yeah, know. I mean, they're supposed to have unloaded, I think, at least about half of the ships for the U.S. I don't know about the rest of the world. So hopefully soon. Yeah, I mean, de de definitely we were very lucky, very privileged. They, uh, and I never got the full story, but somehow we got a copy really early. I don't know where it came from, <laughs> but it is here. Um, but yes, yeah, I, I think I'm well aware that most people don't have it yet. Yes, but you'll get it soon enough, and it'll be worth the wait. And just, you know, in the meantime, build up your muscles, because carrying that thing in is not going to be light. And, uh, you know, get your group together, because you're going to need it, and you're going to need them to commit some time to you. So, uh... <laughs> so, or just play it solo. It's great solo. It is great solo as well. So, all right, everybody. Well, thanks for joining us. Great seeing you, and we will talk to you soon. Bye! Bye. Hey, Mike. Yeah. You know how you did that weightlifting thing with, uh, with uh, what's that game? Street the Masters? Chest? Wasn't it Street oh, Masters Street that you lifted? You did all that training? Street Masters thing? and then it was the Trove Chest. Yeah, guess what? I don't believe yeah, I mean, you could lift this one up. No stored boxes? <laughs> no way, man. <laughs> no, no. Not going to happen. <laughs> they, would, they would literally hit my ceiling before I would get them all the way up. <laughs> well, not only that, like one of them was like 30-some pounds. It's ridiculous. Yeah, the, the, the main one is, I think, 36 pounds. The whole thing was like 55 pounds. It's the craziest thing ever. Yeah. But yes. <laughs> all right. Bye. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop. Or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another Top 5 list.